Hello and welcome to How Many Geese. I'm Jack Baddams. And I'm Roddy Shaw. And if you're looking for a nature podcast that doesn't take itself too seriously... Then we are The Natural Selection. On today's show... Starting with The Vampire Finches of Wolf Island. Combine those words together and you've got an infinite amount of heavy metal band names. Do we have to start with animals that could pull off an ape-style coup of earth? We're so lucky dolphins don't have legs and no kickboxing. (laughs) Jack, have you heard of ChatGPT? I have, but I don't... I've not actually read into it, so I don't really know, like, much about it, other than that people are saying it's either, you know, the greatest revolution or the end of days. Yeah, pretty much exactly that. But to frame it a bit more at the start for any listeners who aren't familiar... ChatGPT is an artificial intelligence chatbot developed by a group called OpenAI, Open Artificial Intelligence, that was launched in November 2022. Now, the core function of the the bot, the program, is to just mimic human conversation, but it's incredibly versatile. So, for example, it can write and debug computer programs. It can mimic the style of celebrities and write business pitches, compose music, compose scripts, fairy tales, student essays, answer test questions, and depending on the test it is given at a level above the average human test taker, write poetry, song lyrics, emulate programs. It can do load simulate an entire chat room so i i had seen i had seen in the news recently that two students had had uh had been found out to be using it to write essays for tests uh and they both got firsts and yeah. they, it had, had to be scrapped but that that's how good it was yeah yeah so in its simplest terms uh just in terms of how it works it kind of predicts the next word that will be useful based on having read inverted commas vast amounts of text from the internet so it's been out there it's like read the internet and so when it starts picking words it kind of knows the next one i asked Mm -hmm. it to explain itself to me in its simplest terms and it said and this is where it gets a little bit spooky i am trained on vast amounts of text from the internet books and other sources and i use that training to generate responses to input think of me like a really smart robot that can have conversations with humans (laughs) whoa (laughs) Since its launch, it has been the focus of loads of media and public attention, like you've said, ranging from a BBC News report about a 22-year-old student using the application to get out of a parking fine by asking it to write a letter to the council to get her out of the parking fine. Nice. To Italy banning the application outright and the New York City Department of Education reportedly blocking access to it in December 2022 because of exactly what you said, students just taking their questions, putting it in there, asking it to write the answers. More recently, many public figures such as Elon Musk and Steve Wozniak, who was one of the founders of Apple, have signed an open letter calling for an immediate pause of giant AI experiments like ChatGPT, citing profound risks to society and humanity. Mm -hmm. Right. But we are, as we know, a nature podcast. So why am I telling you this? We're not a technology one, but we are in many ways, and I think you'll agree, the tip of the spear of the British creative industry. I Yeah, that's what people say about us. Yeah, BAFTA, we're still waiting on BAFTA to call any day as soon as they get round to the podcast arm of BAFTA exactly yeah we'll be there I front know. and centre exactly presenting accepting <laughs> hosting we're like Anton Deck we'll just win it every single year <laughs> <laughs> this is the Saturday night takeaway of goose based <laughs> podcasts and for anyone I was about to say for anyone listening overseas this is what Saturday night takeaway is but then I just thought that is way too big of a door <laughs> that, that is a whole even just explaining the concept of Anton Deck is going to take us far too long (laughs) (laughs) and so i was very curious to see could chat gpt generate how many geese essentially are our jobs safe and i'm using job in the loosest of sense (laughs) (laughs) in the way that it is not a job in any way whatsoever yeah what is goose by artificial intelligence yeah So, just to be clear, I had spent some time, as you've possibly alluded, uh, playing around with it, working out how to interact with the platform. And it can learn through the conversation you have with it. So, similar almost to a WhatsApp conversation, 
you know, you can be like four messages down or, or it can say something and then you can say, can you explain that better? Can you expand on that? Can you, you know, whatever. And so it kind of knows that you're having a conversation as opposed to each message getting um, done. So what I'm about to read you is not from a completely cold start, but it's cold enough. Okay. Me. I would like your help to make a segment for the show. Chat GPT. Of course, I'd be happy to help you create a segment for your podcast. Can you provide me with some more information about the segment you have in mind? What is the theme of your podcast and what kind of segment are you looking to create? Do you have any specific topics or ideas in mind for the segment? With this information, I can provide you with suggestions for the content and format of your segment. Let me know what you have in mind and we can work together to create an engaging and informative segment for your audience. Oh my God. I'm already sort of getting chills. Yeah. I was like, here we go. Because it can take a while to research bits. And I was like, we're off. Yeah. Yeah. So, I I mean, yeah, to to, to explain to the listeners, like, you know, a segment can easily take, you know, an hour or two of, of going through all the different articles and pulling together all the strands that we do and reading journals. Oh, longer. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Yeah. Me. The show is a comedy nature show. We look for funny stories involving the natural world. Things like animals being where they shouldn't or historical encounters like when Australia went to war with the emus. (laughs) Go back and check that out, anyone who hasn't heard it. The theme is mainly one of comedy, but we always look to educate too. What do you think? Chat GPT. These answers, by the way, it is instant and it types like word, 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 so you can watch it as if it's... You watch it come out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Thanks for the additional context. Based on the theme and tone of your podcast, here are a few segment ideas that might fit. Wild Tales. It's given the, the things in quotations. Wild Tales. In this segment, you could share funny and interesting stories from around the world that involve animals or nature. You could cover things like strange animal behaviours, bizarre animal encounters, and unique features of different ecosystems. To add an educational element, you could also provide some background information or scientific context to each story. I mean, that, that's, that is how many geese, isn't it? That's basically the show at large. Next segment, it suggested. It, it banged out three. Next one, natural disasters. In this segment, you could cover different natural disasters and their impact on wildlife. You could focus on the more unusual or quirky events, such as a swarm of bees taking over a city or a volcano causing a mass migration of animals. Again, you could include some educational content about the science behind each event. And lastly, nature fails. In this segment, you could share stories of animals or humans attempting to interact with nature and failing miserably. For example, you could cover people trying to catch fish with their bare hands, or animals getting stuck in human-made structures like buildings or cars. You could add a comedic element by including audio clips or commentary from comedians or other guests. I hope these ideas help inspire your segment. Let me know if you have any other questions. So that middle one, the natural disasters, really intrigued me, because I'd never thought of that. So I go to it. Do you have examples of any of your suggestions, like an example of a volcano causing a migration? Yes, certainly. Here is an example of a natural disaster segment featuring a story about a volcanic eruption causing a migration of wildlife. Volcanic migration. In 2010, the... Now, I'm just going to jump in here and pause quickly. Do you remember that volcano in Iceland which erupted? I, I can't, it's just on the tip of my tongue. How, how do you pronounce it again? <laughs> oh, like... <laughs> We come across words. Well, we come across words. <laughs> There's always a big word every segment in another language, which one of us is going to butcher. And for some reason, a robot has given me maybe the hardest one ever. So here we go. In 2010, the volcano, perfect, nailed it, in Iceland erupted causing widespread chaos and disruption. The ash plume from the volcano was so large that it grounded air traffic across Europe for several days, and it also had a profound impact on the local ecosystem. In the weeks following the eruption, scientists observed a mass migration of several species of birds and mammals away from the volcano. One of the most fascinating examples was the migration of the Icelandic eider duck. These ducks normally breed on coastal cliffs and rely on the nutrient-rich seaweed that grows there. However, The ash from the volcano contaminated the seaweed, making it toxic for the ducks to eat. As a result, the ducks were forced to abandon their breeding grounds and migrate inland to find new food sources. Some travelled as far as 100 kilometres from the coast in search of clean water and food. 
This migration had a significant impact on the ecosystem of Iceland. For example, the lack of eider ducks on the cliffs meant that their droppings, which are an important source of nutrients for other plants and animals, were no longer present. However, the migration also provided a unique opportunity for scientists to study the impact of a volcanic eruption on wildlife and to learn more about the adaptive strategies of different species. At this point, I'm thinking, holy oh shit. Oh my god. Holy shit. This yeah. it can just spit out entire how many geese segments. And it and it did that in seconds. R- the real time from the first message to get in that was three, four minutes of conversation. And we go on. That's and we astonishing. go on. Amazing. Can you provide references for the above? Chat GPT. Sure, here's the reference for the study I mentioned. And it spat out <laughs> a perfect one, two, three, four, five authors, brackets, year, title of paper, a fully referenced reference, like you'd get at the back, Marine Ecology Progress Series 511, the page numbers. I'm like, great. Can you provide a link to the study or paper? says, unfortunately, I cannot provide a link to the full text of the study as it is behind a paywall. However, you can access the abstract and citation information for the study on the publisher's website at this link. And that was its... Like, extraordinary. (laughs) Like, I'm just... Like, the whole whole of that segment when you were talking about Ida Ducks, uh, for listeners' benefit, I was just sat here, like, open-mouthed as it just kept going on and on and on. Yeah, yeah. And that was its suggestion on volcanic migrations. But it also suggested, like I said, it had a city taken over by bees. It was on about Madrid. It had a time a beaver chewed through the internet cable for a town in Canada. It had, I could just go like again and again, and it would find me another and another and another and another. Wow. I mean, like, one, scary is going to take our job. Two, what an amazing resource. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, because we, because we, there, there is, there are certain types of stories that we look for, and sometimes, you know, it take it can take us a while to come across them, or sometimes, you know, we'll come to us, we'll come to a time where we're going to record together, and we might have like a certain amount of great stories, but then we have to sit and really look for others. But to be able to chuck them out that fast yeah. is astonishing. Yeah. But here's the thing. Ooh. That volcano saga. As yeah. best as I can work out, is total bollocks. <laughs> Take that, AI. Really? There's no, this. But- the volcano exists. So I asked it for the reference, asked it for a link to the website, clicked on the website. As it said, you know, what comes up? Sorry, this is behind a paywall. So I was like, okay, well, decided to dig a little deeper. Took the journal, went to the journal website, took the series number, went to the series number. The volcano exists, the researchers exist, Ida ducks exists, and by all accounts, and despite the Vikings' best efforts to trick us otherwise, Iceland exists. <laughs> but if you yep. follow the paper and the breadcrumb trail, the story of ducks being forced to migrate 100 kilometers inland doesn't seem to exist anywhere. And when I say doesn't, I mean it doesn't anywhere. The journal is real. But the edition and the pages it references are completely wrong, taking you to a completely different article. The researchers that it mentions didn't put out anything close to that name in that year. And when you re-ask the question about giving it a reference, it will spit out a slightly different variation on that reference. So, Jack, I have done what any self-respecting podcast host would do. Mm-hmm. I emailed the Icelandic scientists. No way. At 1 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> this is a level of dedication I don't think how many geese has seen before. We are breaking new ground. To understand if they wrote this or not. And the vibe of the email that I put out to the world to Thomas Goodmanson mm-hmm. is a weird vibe. <laughs> So, <laughs> I was going to say, like, I was going to say when you were talking about the Ida duck story, I was going to say, they're such like a sea duck. It's incredible that the volcano had this effect on them and they moved inland because they never come inland. Just you wait. So, <laughs> okay. I got one of the authors, Thomas, and I sent him an email. Hi, this might be a very strange request, but I would greatly appreciate your help with the following. 
And I was like, how do I get to the point I need to make as quick as possible? I have been doing some research for a science podcast show using ChatGPT. Blah, blah. Through interacting with it, it told me about the eruption of the volcano. When I asked it to provide a reference for its claims, it suggested the following, and I copied in the exact reference. However, having conducted some further research, I cannot find a trace of this publication anywhere. I'm keen to understand if it is referencing a paper of yours or if it has in fact created the whole thing. If you could confirm or deny, blah, 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 best wishes, and I hope my strange email is well received. Cheers, Roddy. And because never miss an opportunity to market, brackets, P.S., the show, if you're at all interested, is called How Many Geese, linked to Spotify. The next morning, an email from Thomas Gretar Gunnarsson at the Icelandic University. Hi, Roddy. This is indeed fabrication. This paper does not exist and this combination of authors have never published together and one of the authors looks made up it looks like i may be the denominator as i have published on idas and the effects of eruptions on birds and with all of the authors on some occasions but somehow the ai doesn't think i deserve to be one of the lead authors which is a bit gutting (laughs) yes thomas (laughs) I tried a similar exercise recently and asked ChatGPT to provide a short summary of conservation and ecology on waders with references. The results look superficially good to someone who knows nothing, but it was utter rubbish. A couple other lines. So apparently we are not quite redundant yet. Best wishes, Thomas. Oh, I like Thomas. So I went back to Thomas. (laughs) (laughs) Many thanks. Hugely appreciated. Commiserations on the bot not making you a full author. (laughs) i then asked him i put the whole chunk of text about the ida ducks and the migration in there i just said would you mind letting me know if any of this you know what the vibe is could this be possible whatever he came back it's quite amusing there is almost no hint of truth in this except that the eruption (laughs) occurred and idas are real (laughs) errors i spot immediately idas nest on the ground not on cliffs they feed on mollusks not on seaweed They did not move inland and neither did any other species that we know of. Ash acts as a fertilizer. Of course. um, So no contamination of seaweed is likely. And everything that follows from the above is further fabrication. Thomas and I had a couple other back and forths. And, you know, I said I'd give him a big shout out. So a huge shout out to Thomas at the university for entertaining that. But we're still needed, Jack. What a journey I've been on. But I thought just to end it, that despite all that, I did want to see if there was anything in volcanoes and their impact on wildlife, as it had suggested mm-hmm. at the start, because that that did impact me. When I started this in my head, I thought it was going to be easy to find a positive relationship because ChatGPT put it out so quickly. But yeah. I don't know what you know about volcanoes, but they're pretty scary. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's basically the summation of my knowledge. You've summed it up there. Yeah. It's literally the Earth spitting out magma, like, you know. Yeah, and having done a bit of research, it appears to be that volcanoes just fuck everything up. (laughs) They spew toxic gases, they emit tons upon tons of ash and volcanic glass, rivers of molten lava spew forth, but geologically, they're pretty fundamental to life on Earth. 80% of the Earth's surface, both above and below sea level, is apparently of volcanic origin. Which I find really weird because I cannot figure out for the life of me what that means for the other 20%. (laughs) (laughs) Where where did it come from? (laughs) Chat GPT made it up. Yeah, exactly. Um, So while the eruptions can pretty much destroy everything in their path, in the immediate instance, because like Thomas said... uh, the ashes fertilizer you know down the line but certainly immediately everything's pretty screwed um i wanted to look to see if there was any relationship in and around volcanoes or the geology they form or anything like that so just quickly because chat gpt fed us such bollocks i wanted to tick off a couple actual things out there so we don't miss this opportunity to chat about volcanoes and what they're up to so a quick run through of some relationships between wildlife living in and around volcanoes Mm -hmm. just so you know from the start it turns out that seemingly anything involved in and around a volcano has a very hardcore name (laughs) oh good starting with 
the vampire finches of Wolf Island. I mean, how many metal, <laughs> like, com- combine those words together and you've got an infinite amount of heavy metal band names. Found on Wolf Island and Darwin Island in the Galapagos, these finches are endemic to two very, very small, very, very far-flung volcanic islands. Have you heard of these? I think... I, th- I think I know wh- what these are, yeah. Yeah. I think I've seen them on a on a documentary. So the environment they live in is incredibly harsh, with each island being under a square mile. Now, I will admit, having said that I was starting on relationships with volcanoes, I'm bending it ever so slightly and stretching it here because the volcanoes they live on are extinct. But what the volcanoes basically did was they created these incredibly remote islands, which are now very, very harsh to live on. So that's the... That's the bridge we've got here. So each island uh, less than a square mile. The finch is endemic there. And in times of drought on the island, the finch population can crash by as much as 90% and rebounds from that. Wow. So to handle this, what do they do? There's very little fresh water on the island. The clue's in the name. They've turned vampiric and have evolved to drink the blood of nesting seabirds. Yeah, I have seen... I've seen... I think I can't remember which series it was. I think it was an Attenborough one, and they were pecking. I can't remember what the seabird was. It might have been a species of booby. That is boobies because the line is they drink booby blood. But I didn't, you know. (laughs) And they were, but it was really grim, like because the boobies were. uh, I've got these beautiful white feathers, if I remember right, and then like the blood was sort of dripping across them, and it was quite, it's quite a lot. Yeah. Um, it the the thinking is that they started out feeding on the parasites, but then you know would nick the skin and get a bit of blood. And because there's such little fresh water on the island, that they went down the path of now actively seeking out blood. They still uh, eat parasites on the birds. They're not exclusively blood, but they can pretty much sustain themselves on blood. Um, mm. A sim a similar thing recently found with uh, oxpeckers, which feed on the parasites of lots of things in the Serengeti, uh, in the savannah of Africa, but have recently been found to purposefully nick the skin to drink blood of giraffes and things like that. Yeah. Now, the next volcanic interaction, we're sticking with the Galapagos. We're going to Fernandina Island. Now, found on Fernandina Island, female land iguanas there have taken advantage of the thermal heat coming off the volcano. And every year, nearly 2,000 of the lizards make a 10-day trek from the coast to the top of La Cumbre, the volcano on the island, from where they then descend into the crater. And once at the bottom, they lay their eggs in the warm ash and the heat from the volcano, not gestates, incubates, incubates the eggs. No, wow, cool. Yeah. That's cool. Although uh, I'm going to mark it down for not having a hardcore name. Very true. Vampire Finch of Wolf Island, Land Iguana. I like Fernandina, but it's not Wolf Island. It's not Wolf Island, but it is born from the belly of a volcano. Very true, yes. Like, the first direction those babies have to go on when they're born (laughs) is climb out of a volcanic crater. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, yeah, I'll add a few more points on. Maybe they don't have the, you know, um, kind of word shuffle, make a hardcore... Uh, rocker name but they do have the most metal entrance to the world ever (laughs) (laughs) yes they do yeah okay yeah you're not going to forget their entrance to the concert yeah yeah and then lastly a lot of volcanoes are under the sea and we're going down to the hydrothermic vents Mm -hmm. because on one of these vents in the well not one of the vents but in the indian ocean there is at the bottom of the sea the most hardcore snail ever, 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 ever. Known as the scaly foot gastropod or just the volcano snail, this snail lives in and around the hydrothermic vents, which can spew out water of up to 400 degrees Celsius, and its shell is made of iron. I, You've brought this up once before. We didn't go properly deep into it. Um, because it was for, I think it was a segment where we were trying to assign animals to Pokemon. Like it was like, what animal, what animal, what animal would you choose as your Pokemon or something like that? And you were like, there is, here's an animal that is literally just a Pokemon. Yeah. It's a snail with an iron shell. Yeah. And we sort of surface leveled it and then moved on as we do with the questions. But yeah, I mean, 
<laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Unbelievable thing. Just eking out a living at the bottom of the sea. Apparently, it's a special bacteria which can, for whatever reason, metabolize and make iron. But they look absolutely mad as well, don't they? I'm going to. Yeah. They're also know. called the sea pangolin because the iron plates, they look like chainmail. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, like the. But it's even there. It's not just their shell, is it? It's their soft, fleshy foot bit. So the shell is made of iron, and then the the squidgy snail bit is just in full chainmail. Yeah, and then and then the bits and then the bits of the snail that are actually sort of fleshy are just red or like or like really bright pink. Yeah, it looks like if you if you close your eyes and picture like a volcano in magma and the kind of you know the black of the magma and then the red sort of poking through as it splits. That's what this snail looks like. It is a volcano made snail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's very cool yeah and anything that is involved with those vents at the bottom of the sea you know is yeah, hardcore for sure and so very lastly going into all that now this is less heavy metal but i'd never heard of these structures before and we'll just finish with this is lava tubes have you heard of lava tubes no so, never lava tubes a volcano erupts and the lava and i'm really sorry to our hordes of volcanologists who follow us but i have no idea what the difference between magma and lava is and i'm going to be honest i'm not about to google it now (laughs) but the red gloopy rock that comes out the big angry hill Mm -hmm. when that flows away um in some instances if it's the right viscosity and the right situations what happens either above or below ground is basically the outside of that solidifies and cools first imagine a sausage roll if you will mm-hmm. sometimes the great uh, the sausage rolls from greg's do very much feel like molten <laughs> magma yeah exactly so the pastry casing hardens and forms and then the inside filling just flows out and you're left with just a tube a oh, tube made of yeah. lava now these tubes can be up to 14 to 15 meters wide but are often narrower and can run they can be from one meter below the surface down to 15 and there is a lot of them on hawaii now very volcanic but one of the cool things about the hawaiian ones in particular is that there is a particular tree in hawaii called the ohia tree and this mm. tree is incredibly good at colonizing volcanic plains when they're done and the roots of the tree, when it grows big, will grow down through the soil and through the roof of the lava tube and then hang down on the inside. And they look oh, wow. like just sort of curtains of roots hanging down and they're able to bring in the moisture just from the air and all the rest. That's cool. Can you go but into the lava tubes? Recently, there's been more exploration of these lava tubes in Hawaii. And what they are finding is that there are entire ecosystems of invertebrates living on them but the cool thing about this is you get cave wibbly squibblies in other caves, but they're normally existing on like, oh, a dead rat fell in and that's their meal for the next decade. And it's kind of very random, just tiny bits of food going in. Whereas this is basically like the upside down in Stranger Things, where if you took a cut section, you've got a tree and a forest above ground. And then wherever the roots poke through into these tunnels, the insects are evolving and they're all blind and long-legged and lost all their colour and everything to feed on the sap through these and this ecosystem building. And it the kind of pictures of it and everything, it's basically the upside down in Stranger Things. That's really cool. I had no idea about that. Never heard of that before. Yeah, and they're discovering more and more, you know, completely endemic unique species as more more research has done on the lava tubes wow okay how many geese goes to the lava tubes please yeah (laughs) (laughs) and that is how an ai robot (laughs) took us to hawaii (laughs) and they are bona fide how many geese facts yes not chat gpt facts except for the fact on magma and lava because that one i don't know and i'm not checking because it is not an animal. <laughs> no. Geological facts go to how many rocks. <laughs> We're here. We're back. We are in your ears with this week's birder segment, which Jack is called Two Heads Are Better Than One. <laughs> That's your best yet. <laughs> Easily easily your best yet although i did like harder birder faster stronger yeah little daft punk homage exactly (laughs) so 
For those of you who may not know if this is your first episode, if this is the first time you're joining us, Birder is our sponsor and we're delighted that we are partnering with them. It is a birdwatching app that gets you out and about, gets you into birdwatching if you're new to it, gets you helping people if you're experienced with it. And if you think you have a podcast which has all the answers, it still teaches you new facts. As we've learned in the last few episodes. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, you can discover new birdwatching locations, build up a bird list and meet like-minded people to get out there and see much more of the natural world and what bird to feature when talking about getting out there and wanting to see the natural world yeah than the king of the skies the peregrine falcon the peregrine falcon one of the best animals yeah in the world yeah like in the encyclopedia book of animals this is top 10 yeah when like the world is done and there's some kind of, you know, top 10 greatest hits yeah. <laughs> album release. Now that's what I call nature. Exactly. Now that's what I call all life on Earth. <laughs> the Peregrine Falcon is going to feature. Yeah. Yeah. So incredible bird. Naturally, uh, cliff nesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but has now with that taken very well to living in our cities. Yeah, so skyscrapers, you can find them pretty much here in the UK. I think it is... I don't think there's a city without a nesting pair of peregrines, but they have such a wide range that you can find them right across the northern hemisphere. Well, you can find them. I think they're the most widely distributed non-migratory bird in the world. They're found pretty much all over the world. More than pigeons. But they're, they've been moved around quite a lot. Oh, so just on their own. Yeah, yeah. So naturally. Oh, wow. So they're found all over. And as such, they're so hardcore yeah. that... One-fifth of the world's bird species have been recorded as prey items of peregrine falcons. So that's 2,000 different species of bird, from sandhill cranes, the biggest, to hummingbirds, the smallest. 2,000 species of bird of, of bird have fallen prey to peregrines that we're aware of. Jeez, and we talk about, like, ancient kings and queens of Britain putting a duck in a goose and being like, oh my God, how decadent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Peregrines could start at a hummingbird, end at a crane and fill the middle with as many diverse birds as they could possibly get their talons on. Exactly. And as uh, Jack mentioned, cities all over the world, they've taken so well to nesting on skyscrapers and where where better for skyscrapers yeah. than the Big Apple? Yeah. New, New York. York yeah. It's an amazing place to see peregrines, actually. And and it's so much so that there's been, I'm sure in one of the uh, Attenborough documentaries, they filmed whole sequences with the peregrines hunting over New York. I can see them from mine in London. Yeah. Not the ones in New York. These are birds <laughs> in London that I'm looking at. And that's amazing. And I'm, I'm high up. I'm not that high up. I mean, to imagine seeing them in, like, mm. Skyscraperville would be, yeah... And another amazing Bonkers. thing about peregrines and how they've adapted to city living is, you know, I just told you how many species have succumbed to a peregrine's talons. Mm -hmm. But now, because they use the lights of cities, they can even hunt in the dead of night as well. So they'll fly up high. And when birds are migrating, well, there's two ways of doing it. So they wait for the birds to be, uh, birds often migrate at night, are drawn into cities uh, through lights and all that sort of stuff. Peregrines can either get below them looking up and seeing the light shining off of the stomachs of birds or they can get above them and see the silhouette moving below them against the lights so i certainly know that in the city of derby in the uk uh, there's been footage of on um, peregrine nests of them bringing in the dead of night birds like woodcock which are a nocturnal wading oh, bird wow. which fly around at night and the peregrines in the dead of night are hunting them plucking them out of the sky uh, and bringing them back so uh, it's a, an adaptation they've had to living in cities is they can now hunt nocturnally but they're not just sort of adapting to new things i mean they are naturally built to just dominate yeah. uh, oh, yeah. of course everyone knows that these are very fast birds and people you know know that they're well, you should. If you're listening to this show, you're going to know that peregrine falcons are the fastest. The fastest of all the animals. Exactly. Yeah. 242 miles an hour while diving, up to 69 miles an hour while chasing. So that's mm -hmm. not, that's, I guess, on the straight or something. But that yeah. dive is what really earns them their name. Yeah. And to handle that, they have got special nostrils that help keep their lungs safe so there's no rush of wind. They've got an extra eyelid to prevent dust going in there and an extra vertebrae to help strengthen their tail. All of this... Uh, on the Peregrine page in the Bird app. So if you are out there, you are in a city. And like we said, they are everywhere. Yeah. So they're not... Like, the king of the birds is not that hard yeah. <laughs> to find. There are not many places 
where you can't stand a good chance of seeing a peregrine. Yeah. Yeah. So if you check it out, download the app, you can see who near you has seen a peregrine, if they've popped up, where you can go to see them. And you can go see one of the coolest, like we said, one of nature's top 10 greatest hits. Check it out. It's time for that part of the show where we take one of nature's magnificent creatures and we pit it against Roddy Shaw in a fight to the death. Now, today's animal has been submitted on Instagram by 360Greg, and it is the Huntsman Spider. Okay. The Huntsman Spiders are a whole family of large spiders found right across the world, also known as giant crab spiders due to their size and appearance. They do not make webs, but actively hunt for prey using a combination of vision and sensing vibrations. They have bodies about an inch long, and their overall size can reach up to five inches when their legs are uncurled. These long legs come in handy as they're also known for being very fast, some of the fastest spiders recorded in the world. A species in tropical Queensland can run at 42 body lengths per second. To put that into perspective, Usain Bolt ran at 5.2 body lengths a second. So comparatively, it's eight times faster than Usain Bolt. But what I really like about the Huntsman spiders is that they're a bit of a cultural icon in our favorite part of the world, Australia. They often move into homes or cars, which provide the perfect place for them to live. And their desire to hide behind curtains or sun visors has led to many a jump scare to people who are finding them. But they're not really that aggressive to people and almost never bite. A scientist who spent 14 years studying Aussie huntsman spiders and handled many thousands of individuals had only been bitten 11 times. When they do bite, most bites are quick defensive nips without injecting much venom. They do have big old fangs though. And while most huntsman spider venom isn't fatal to humans, you might suffer from nausea, headaches, and some localized pain and swelling. Although many people are terrified of having these giant spiders in their homes, what I do like about this whole relationship that many Australians have with their huntsman spider is that they sort of welcome them into the home. And it's better to have the spider in your house because they do a great job of eating other unwanted insects. So they'll often be like, oh yeah, that's just our huntsman spider. And they can live for up to two and a half years. So they like get to know them. And a really important thing that they do is as being a pretty sized, decent insect predator, they can often control smaller, more venomous spiders that might come into your home and cause you a real issue. So I quite like the story of the huntsman spider, but bearing all that in mind, this helpful huntsman, how many huntsman spiders are too many huntsman spiders? I had no idea that there was that kind of um, symbiotic relationship. But yeah. that's kind of over... It feels like I'm over-egging it with that. But but yeah, that, you know, the people were kind of cool with their huntsman spiders being there. But um, yeah. So a lot, a lot of people, it is the standard, oh my God, like there's a giant spider in my house. But a lot of people also... Uh, have have you know accept that these are there and as long as you sort of leave them be yeah uh, they're not aggressive it'll just go and hide behind the curtain in the day and come out at night and importantly could be eating some of those real nasty venomous spiders that are going to be hiding and lurking around yeah so yeah and they can live for like two and a half years long so people get quite attached to like the huntsman spider that they have Oh god, I feel like this spider is doing a real, you know, a, a huge amount for for spider PR. Yeah. And um but, you know, the rules are the rules. rules, are the rules. So, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> right. You fought a lot cuter things on the uh, on the segment before. I have, but I haven't they they may have been cute, but they haven't had to do this much PR heavy lifting. Yeah. You know, it's all good and well just being cute. Yeah, but that's true. Yeah. Sort of raising the profile of your entire yeah. order yeah. is a different deal altogether. Yeah. But rules are the rules. Rules are the rules. Okay, Huntsman Spider. I'd never considered body lengths per second as a sort of imperial standard or whatever. But there we go. There we go. Um, Eight times faster than Usain Bolt. When you in start- body lengths per second. Yeah, but yeah, and when you started it and you went forty-four, I was like miles an hour. <laughs> body lengths a second. What? When did we start doing that? But if you think, so this is a five-inch, five-inch spider. Yeah. If it can do forty-two body lengths a second in a second, it can get. No, because it's five-inch. Legs. Oh, sorry. Yeah, leg span. Yeah, body yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. So body body is one inch. Yeah, no, you're quite right. But yeah, even, but that's forty two inches in a second. That's one minute. It is one second. 
42 inches is 3 feet 6 inches. I'm six. So in two seconds, it's from the floor to my face. Yeah. Damn. And there are lots of one of the one of the reasons they've sort of built up this cultural icon status in Australia is um, they're fast. They like to jump a lot, and they can ju- like, you know they'll jump from walls onto other walls. They're they're when if you disturb one, they can be quite like, ah, what's the spy? What's it going to do next? Where's it going to go? Like they can be a bit jumpy. <laughs> Stuff in Australia jumping. <laughs> Stay on the floor, would you? <laughs> like, it's, it's the classic, like, you know, on the face of it, you're not even safe in your homes. Yeah. But then I just like, this is an example where Australia's just come to terms. Yeah. With, it's just like, you know what? It's accepted what it is. Yeah. As a nation, as a people, they're like, okay, we have spiders that <laughs> yeah. run faster than Usain Bolt and jump without warning. <laughs> Hmm. This is, I remember watching an episode of QI once, and they were talking about how many people, um, how many people uh, died of spiders in a year. Yeah. And they were saying that more people die of reactions to spiders than actual spider bites themselves. And the Huntsman is a great example of this because the example they used in this particular QI episode is somebody driving down the road in their car, pull the visor down, and a spider drops out of it onto your lap, and then you crash the car and die. And they were saying more people die in the world from reactions to spiders than actual problem, actually getting bitten by the spider themselves. How so, did that possibly get reported? No, well, I guess people would like people would be reporting. Who, who's in that car? Who survives that crash? The, the spider. Yeah, that's like the, the emergency, I didn't bite them. Yeah, emergency services arrive at the scene. They have to interview a spider to understand you what happened. You got nothing on me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a, that's an example of the kind of places where the spiders are hiding. They, they like a surprise. Well, they don't like a surprise. They're just hiding out of the way. They're just waiting for it to get dark. They're just living their best lives and then people come along and move the curtain. So, yeah, I feel like curtains... Mm-hmm. You don't, you don't want to fight them in a moving car, that's for sure. Yeah, no. Well, I don't want to fight anything in a moving car. Yeah. <laughs> I can't think of any of yeah. these where the solution is inside a moving car. <laughs> but maybe, maybe I fight them in one of those, you know, the um, like the kind of arcades and there's like a fake car with the, you know, like a racing game and you're yeah. in the racing chair and everything else. Maybe I'm one of those where I know that they think because yes because they don't want to ruin their pr so they don't want to bite me so they're trying to kill me in a way like that where they think the shock of us will cause him to die somewhere else but no one's going to blame us we're the innocent spider we're so good we're just helping you with your house clever but they don't understand video games (laughs) (laughs) because despite being master pr strategists yeah they are still a spider. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But if I'm in one of those kind of arcade things, they think that they can spook me mm. and I'm going to steer off and crash. But of course, not the case. Yeah. And they're jumping at me like, ha ha! <laughs> or, you know, in, you know, good day! Or whatever <laughs> sort of surprise spider attack quip yeah exactly up their sleeve and i just sort of look at them and go not today (laughs) (laughs) or maybe i spook the foot you know like oh we're gonna oh you pretend yeah there's no crash here buddy (laughs) um and then i can this you know they haven't even got time to to do their 44 body lengths a second or whatever because they're suddenly they can see the ruse crumbling around them oh man and they're like oh my god and it's one of those you know, you might get these places, like an arcade has got a cinema. You know, there's got kind of like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right, because cinemas have huge bloody curtains, right? So there's yeah. loads of spiders behind that. And they're each coming out trying to spook me in a different arcade machine, mm. thinking, oh, I'm going to get him when he's being attacked by zombies. It won't be me. It'll be the zombies <laughs> playing Time Crisis. They spook me, and I'm like, oh, no, the zombie's going <laughs> to... Not today, buddy. Bash him with the gun. Spider down. So I just have to go... They've set up shop in all of the kind of um, simulation-y type arcade games 
not understanding a simulation. I'm going to get him while he's dancing with, uh, exactly. with all these friends. Just dance. <laughs> exactly. He's going to slip on his laces and then, you know, or the, the, the shame from missing the left foot stomp, you know, is going to get to him. But no, at no point, yeah. you know, because... I, as a higher mammal, understand simulations, but spiders... So how many simulations do you reckon are in your average arcade? Because if we're saying one spider for each, then... Well, I actually think, with you mentioning Just Dance, that could be the one. That's their best shot, because I can't crash the car. The mm. zombies can't get me. The Jurassic Park quad bike, there's no actual dinosaur. The Mario Kart blimp game, you know, all there's nothing there. But Just Dance is the one where I'm actually having to move yeah and so if my laces that's the one where they they've worked out by then i'm going i'm having a good time having a party i'm at just dance defeating them every step of the way defeating them every step of the way and then they work it out so then they get the one which is meant to get me at dino quest (laughs) four and they're like come over here mate i'm gonna spook him you tie his laces together when he's not looking Um. i'm left foot stomp right foot stomp laces fall break my neck die yeah so it's a question of how much money would i reasonably spend in an arcade to understand how many games i'd go through to work out at what number would just dance be the final one yeah i reckon let's say it's two pounds a ticket a game i'm gonna like i don't want to spend more than 20 quid in an arcade i think Mm, 10 games what's that that's a couple two driving ones two shooting ones two dinosaur things just dance i'm saving for the end it's the ninth or tenth game yeah it's one of the last one you you do it because you've already been in the arcade for so long you might as well have a go on everything but it's definitely not the first one you're going for yeah yeah exactly so maybe 10 which for an invertebrate as it's good going they're doing really well yeah (laughs) (laughs) so we've had a question in from aaron gibbon who asks other than apes, what animal would you would make an interesting Planet of the X film? Ah. So we're replacing Planet of the Apes with Planet of the... Echidnas. Echidnas. <laughs> <laughs> now, he just says here, would make an interesting film. So it's not like, you know, which would do a good job of it or which would... You know, what what would be intriguing to watch? So Planet of the Apes, like, originally was all set in very much the future when it was, like, the Apes planet in the kind of whenever the first films came out, yeah. 70s, 80s, whatever. So Maybe my, even earlier. my knowledge of Planet of the Apes is off the Simpsons. Right. And off the uh, Planet of the Apes musical that Troy McClure does. With um, Dr. Zaius. With Dr. Zaius, Dr. Zaius. Okay. Yes, indeed. But I my understanding is... Somebody believes that they are in a different planet. Yep. The twist, spoiler alert, if you're planning on watching Planet of the Apes, is that it was it's Earth all along. Yep. And the apes took over. And yeah. they realise that they are on Earth. When they see the Statue of Liberty? Yes. I think it is. So that's the very famous closing shot of the original I think it's Charlton Heston. I don't know when it was, but yeah, it's on the in the sand and he sees it. No, you know, he's on Earth all along. Is the original one, but then in the modern or the last, the, the trilogy which has come out in the last kind of 10 years. Which is leading up to that, that's sort of the origin of yeah. the planet of the apes, isn't it? Yes. And that is, um, because this is a film podcast now, <laughs> <laughs> that is, uh, yeah, all about the origins of it, but also there's a whole thing about like how they, because they're not just like normal apes Mm. they have they're like very intelligent and it has a whole there was experiments and the experiments went wrong and that's how they became intelligent and then there becomes a whole uprising because they learn to talk and they have weapons and they have like the apes are all organized and they have you know etc etc that's an important point when it comes to answering this question exactly and the final bit of that i guess just thinking of all the pieces is a disease wipes out the humans Right. It's like simian flu, COVID. Oh. There's a pre-COVID world, but it's like, yeah. So does it come from the apes? I, th- I think... Because simian is... Yeah. yeah, yeah, but I can't remember how they tie the two together because I think they're just experimenting on chimps to... It's like studies into um, intelligence anyway. Mm-hmm. And I... F- and they give them like a gas and that makes one of them really smart and then they lead the kind of revolution and they make all the other chimps smart. But I 
I can't remember how the disease happens, but the disease in it is definitely called simian flu. Okay. So that it must be from the chimps and the experiments. And Planet the of the bats. Yep. Well, we've just lived through that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, of course, the third uh, pillar to any good Planet of the Apes franchise, as we've just said, is, of course, a Simpsons musical. <laughs> so whatever animal we choose has to fold into that as well. Okay. Do we have to start with... Apes are intelligent. Animals that could pull off an ape-style coup of Earth. <laughs> <laughs> an ape-style coup. As opposed to like a... Well, I was let's, gonna, call, let's call it what it is. It's a coup. It's going to be a banana republic. <laughs> <laughs> um, so immediately we go to the How Many Geese classic intelligent animals. Orcas. Orcas. Or crows. But there has to be a coup... There has to be a flu, Ooh. and there has to be a musical, <laughs> and there has... To, but, right, if it was like Planet of the Starfish, for example, even if Starfish became hyper-intelligent, they don't have the faculties to <laughs> to weaponize. Like, Maybe they already are. We don't know what Starfish know. Like, they could know so much, <laughs> but they just have no way... They could know how to build suspension bridges. But as like an instinct is but just your, can't act on it is that your go-to measure of <laughs> well I was just like what's some great human achievements and I, I landed at suspension bridge <laughs> if you are a starfish out there who is passionate about civil engineering please tap three times <laughs> on the rock <laughs> but no I think you're right even super intelligent starfish couldn't do anything well that's the thing with orcas and that's the thing with dolphins and that's you know yeah. why we're so grateful that they are in the sea. But, yeah, because, I mean, I've got a friend years ago who once said, we're so lucky dolphins don't have legs and no kickboxing, <laughs> which feels parallel to this conversation somehow. Yeah, yeah. Um, But, yeah, I mean, orcas basically are super... Orcas probably could... They tick the coup box yeah. in as much as they could strategically, yeah. with a bit more intelligence, yeah. like with the magic intelligence gas. Yeah. Uh, but... Orcas could probably do that anyway. But phys- this is what I'm saying. But physically and faculty-wise, yeah, uh, incapable, incapable, exactly. So it's got to have like a hand, but, but then sort of like Planet of the Lemurs just feels like you've gone too so far down the franchise. You're really scraping the barrel. <laughs> yeah, the eighth sequel. <laughs> right, no insects. No, because, well, I'm saying just because of how, again, in many ways, this is their world and we're just living I was going to say, what about ants? Yeah, but I just, they're terrifying. Mm. The thought of them being able to... Put us to work in the sugar mines. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Outthink. One, One of the things I'm really sort of grateful of, and if anything, pride myself on, is the ability to outthink an ant. <laughs> Not to pat myself on the back too much. Yeah. Um, well done. You know, I did go to university. And an ant, not a colony of ants. Yeah, I reckon sort of, yeah, in a in a quiz <laughs> up against an ant, I'm coming out on top. Um, I'm coming out at, in terms of, has to have a hand. And again, like historically, I'm at like Planet of the Cats. I feel that was just ancient Egypt. Yeah. So they've yeah. already kind of had their... They've had their day. They've had their day. Planet of the Dogs. I think dogs are just happy to be here. Yeah. Planet, d- dogs, if we're talking about domestic dogs, are nothing without humans. Yeah. Yeah, there's never going to be a Planet of the Pugs. No. <laughs> <laughs> they are so fucked without us. Yeah. <laughs> they're fucked because of us. Yeah. And then they're even more fucked without vets. Yeah. And if there was going to be a planet of the pugs, it would be exclusively at sea level because <laughs> any rise in altitude, they are not going to be able to hack that whatsoever. There would be so many so many oxygen tanks. Yeah. Just exactly. everywhere. <laughs> they're going to take... Whatever animal does rise is going to take the Netherlands and just <laughs> give it to pugs <laughs> and be like, here, just go and struggle there. Um, okay. I'm coming out at raccoons. Oh, yeah. Okay. Fiddly hands, sneaky, conniving. They yeah. definitely run a coup. Oh. 
Yeah. I reckon I, yeah. raccoons in their current state could overthrow a <laughs> feeble democracy. Yeah. <laughs> like, if a democracy was on its knees, which in many ways... <laughs> <laughs> Thank God we don't have raccoons. <laughs> well, I was going to say, in many ways, a lot of some of the you know major Western countries are heading that way. But we're not a politics podcast or politics a podcast. film podcast. No. Uh, so they do away with municipal waste collections overnight immediately <laughs> they're just like why are you taking it <laughs> yeah leave it there where's it going yeah let's keep it <laughs> that looks useful yeah and um there's definitely going to be some raccoon flu yeah oh isn't it 100 percent. isn't that yeah. it was rabies yeah well, quite yeah there we go yeah <laughs> the gentleman's raccoon yeah. flu so some foolish scientist tries to make raccoons more smart gets bitten by the raccoon yep Super rabies. Yep. In so, eye rabies. <laughs> it's like Apple's rabies. Rabies X. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, they get super rabies and then start biting everybody else. The humans all die of super rabies and the really smart raccoon. Well, it's not all humans die of super... Cause but it sort of forces them underground. There's, like there's going to be a tiny band of society who have other population who are inherently immune to super rabies, yeah, okay. but the population will crash to, mm. let's say, 2% okay, yeah. <laughs> of yeah. current levels. Um, Whilst the raccoons get smart yeah. and take over the world. Yeah. Mm. Now, in to expand on this a little bit further, in Planet of the Apes... It is, in many ways, a coalition government of your chimps, your gorillas, your orangutans. I think those are the big three in it. Famously, the apes. Yeah, but like no gibbons. Gibbons don't make the cut. So it's the great apes. Okay. Um, What have they done with the gibbons? (laughs) (laughs) Don't know. Where are the gibbons? They're just doing sort of the bureaucracy. (laughs) <laughs> so you're saying Gibbons did the admin? Well, yeah. I mean, I I guess so. I mean, what what other kind of behind the scenesy jobs? <laughs> yeah, the civil service. <laughs> the Gibbons were the civil service. Yeah. Okay. To the so in the raccoon. Okay. What are raccoons? Mustelids. I think they're their own thing. Mm. I want to say they're related to red pandas. Oh yeah. Jesus, the the Prochions. Procyons? Pro, procyon? Procyonids? Wow. Okay. So this is quite the coalition. There's three species of raccoons. So who have you got in the coalition? In the coalition, the family, the pro, I'm going to say Procyonidae, correct me if I'm wrong, listeners, but in the family that raccoons belong to, there are Raccoons, ringtails, the caca missiles, the coates, the kinkajous, the olingos, and the olinguitos. What a planet this is. <laughs> planet of the olinguitos. <laughs> there are animals I've never heard of in here. Planet of the kinkajous I like. Kinkajous have yeah. a fun tongue. Kinkajous are nice. Kinkajous are just in this planet. They're running the kind of corner shops. Um, also known as the honey bear. Yeah. They're very, they're very sweet. We like them. Kawatis, I feel they're taking on agriculture. <laughs> I just think sort of, you know, like lots of them working out in a field together. Yeah. Uh, the Olingos, what? This, wh- how long have we been doing this now? A while. Yeah. And spoiler alert, but outside of this, we still talk about animals. <laughs> I've never heard of an Olinguito. It is very rare that... Either of us come across animals that we've never heard of, let alone both of us have never heard of. And Olingo and Olinguito, I've never heard of either. It's basically like a little cat bear thing. Also, new species for 2014. It's the first new carnivore described in the Western Hemisphere in 35 years. Damn. It's just been chilling in the cloud forest in Colombia and Ecuador. And its scientific name, Neblina, is Spanish for fog or mist, referring to the cloud forest habitat. The Olinguito. This is a very mysterious player in this coalition. Oh, yeah. This is the Secret Service. <laughs> this In Planet of the Raccoons, this is MI1 through 7, <laughs> plus the CIA, plus the FBI, plus... There's always that... Have you seen um, uh, Kingsman? Yeah. Uh, the great line in that, of course, where Samuel L. Jackson says something like, no one even knows what the Chinese Secret Service is called. <laughs> That's how secret they are. 
well, this is... <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the Olinguito. That's the Olinguito. Exactly. There we go. Planet of the Raccoons. Planet of the Raccoons. Yeah. Hello, listeners. Just me popping up, as I always do, at the end of the show to tell you all the stuff that you already know. Remember to check out our friends over at Birder by downloading their free app and getting your bird on. If you do feel so generous, then please do drop us a donation over at buymeacoffee.com forward slash how many geese. But mainly, this is the part where I tell you that we're both very grateful for you listening, your support, and for sharing this podcast. Thank you all very much for listening, and we'll see you next Tuesday.